it's a call that Joshua makes in our lives as well to make a decision on who we will serve, whether we will serve everything else or whether we will serve Christ alone. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24 this morning as we come to the last chapter in this book of faithfulness. As we finish up, Joshua, we're actually going to read this morning verses 1 through verse 28. We're going to save verses 29 to the end of the chapter for next week. That was not originally my plan, but the more I began to study it, the more I just loved how the end of the book does such a beautiful job of bridging from where we've been in Joshua to where we're going and talking about testimonies and the importance of testimony in our life. But this week, we focus on the beginning of the, of the chapter. Last week, in chapter 23, Joshua had called together the leaders of Israel to stress upon them the importance of continuing to be faithful to God, to stress on them the importance of setting their focus on Him, that they may follow Him and that He may continue to be with them. This week, as we look at chapter 24, Joshua has called not together not just the elders, but he has called together all of the people of Israel, that he may be with them one last time as a group, and that he may that they may renew the covenant that had been made under Moses. And so this this week, what we're looking at. So hopefully by now you found Joshua chapter twenty four. If you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. As has been the case the last few weeks. It's rather a long passage, and so if in the middle of this you need to have a seat, that is understandable. But looking at God's Word in Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Noor, and they, tra- they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zephor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho 
fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Pezrites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is holy. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witness against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord, our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up underneath the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, as always, we are thankful. Lord, we are thankful that you are a faithful God. Lord, that you have been consistent in your actions and your attitudes towards us forever. Lord, that you look at us and you desire a relationship with us, that you have done everything possible to make that happen. And now the choice is ours. Father, I pray that we would answer the question, who will you serve? That we would not do so flippantly, that we would not do so without thinking, as you say in the New Testament through the words of Christ, that we would not do so without counting the cost. But Lord, that we would know who we serve, that we would delight in who we serve, that we would find life in who we serve. Father, I pray 
do things that only you can do. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we look at chapter 24, as I said earlier, Joshua has gathered together all of Israel that they may hear these words from the Lord and that they may have a renewal of the covenant that had been made under Moses. The covenant that they come to renew is the one that had been made at Mount Sinai after they had left Egypt when Moses had gone up on the mount and received the law and had received even the Ten Commandments. And now he comes off of the mountain and, and they pledge their allegiance to God and they, follow, they agree to follow him. Now, here we are, so many years later, and there is an opportunity, this is a, a special time in the life of the nation of Israel to renew that covenant, to go back and to look at it once again and to understand it. So three questions that I want to look at really quickly before we dive too much farther into this. First, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? In many ways, we would understand it in our language to be a contract. It is an agreement between two parties, and typically in the case of a covenant, between a higher, higher power and a, and a servant. But it's the agreement between two parties to act one way towards each other. And there would be an agreement that the, the higher power would act and provide something, and that the lower, the servant, would in turn provide loyalty and obedience. Oftentimes this covenant would not just be an agreement, but there would also be stipulations as to what would happen if the covenant was violated. There would be the agreement, we're going to do this, we're going to receive this, we're going to have this, but if the covenant is broken, this is what will occur. And then lastly, we see in a covenant usually that there is a witness. There is a seal upon the covenant. Sometimes that witness is God himself. Sometimes it is other people. Sometimes that seal is blood. Many times we see the seal as blood in the Bible. Sometimes it is other things, though. But a covenant is that fundamental agreement. And in the Bible, typically, it's that fundamental agreement between God and how he's going to interact with his people so that's the first part. Second, why does this covenant need to be renewed? If the agreement has already been established, then why is there a need for renewal? Well, a couple of different reasons. One, this is a re an opportunity to review what has already happened and to make promises anew. We often think about uh, renewing vows. You'll hear of a, a couple, a married couple, that at a fifth anniversary or tenth anniversary or twenty-fifth, they will have a renewing of their vows. It's not them getting married again. It's just them coming back and remembering the promises that they had made to one another between, before others and before God. And it's a good thing. It reminds them of, of those promises. It reminds them of their faithfulness towards one another. It reminds them of their love for one another. It's seen as a, something to celebrate. Well, in the same way, as God's people come back to renew their covenant with God, it's something to celebrate. It's something to be excited about. It's also a mark of a momentous occasion. The end of Joshua 
marks the end of a significant era in the life of the nation of Israel. Before this, when you look at Abraham through, really, through Joshua, what you see is a people that had been promised much. They had been promised to become a nation. They had been promised to have a home and have a place of dwelling. But up until this point, for hundreds of years, they had been a nomadic people, traveling from place to place, never having a true home, never having a place they could really call their own. But in the book of Joshua, we see that change. We see the fulfillment of the promise for a land and a home, and we see them begin to settle. He talks about in this chapter that now they are in cities that they did not build. They're in homes that they can call their own. They're they're taking from vineyards and orchards that they did not plant. It is a fulfillment of all the promises that had been made to Israel up to this point, with still other promises and other fulfillments to come. And so it's a mark, of, it's a change in their history. And so it's a good opportunity for them to remember that God had done all of this and of their faithfulness moving forward, that they, they were still in that covenant, that he would continue to bless if they would continue to follow him. You've got to remember, as we think about this passage, that 20 to 25 years have passed since the major battles of Joshua. They've been at relative peace. Yeah, there's been skirmishes here or there, little fights here or there. But for the most part, the people of Israel have been at peace for 20 or 25 years. There are people among Israel, young adults, 20 to 25-year-olds, who don't remember Jericho, who don't remember Ai, who don't remember what it's like to live in a tent. They've always been at home. They're only hearing stories about what God has done in terms of those big, momentous occasions. And so this is a transition, not just from being nomadic people to being a people of a home, but it's a transition between generations. So the generation that had seen the, all these miracles of God that are mentioned at the beginning of this chapter and those who had not experienced that. So it's a, it's a big deal for them to come together and to renew this covenant with, with the Lord. Last question that is just we're just going to mention briefly here is why Shechem? It's interesting that this is the location of the covenant because this isn't the dwelling place of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is in Shiloh. So why come here? Why, why renew the vows? Why renew the covenant at this place? Well, let me show you something interesting. Turn back to Genesis chapter 12. You may not get there before before I read it. But Genesis chapter 12, you have the call of Abram. Abram being the same person as Abraham. His name had just not been changed yet by God. And God picks out Abram and calls him to follow. He calls him into obedience. And Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram had seventy five Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. 
And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we see back in Genesis chapter 12 that Shechem is the beginning of the promise of this land. It is the starting place in many ways of the entire covenant that God makes with the people of Israel. So it is fitting then that Joshua would bring Israel back to this place, back to this location for them to renew their vows. It would be like, a, like we mentioned earlier, a married couple renewing their vows, and they go back to the church where they first made those vows, or they go back to that first place where maybe they had that serious discussion or that place where he proposed. They go back to an important location in the history of their relationship. And the same was true here. This momentous occasion in Israel, this important moment of renewing vows, they go back to an important location in the history of Israel. So what did this renewal look like then? Let's dig into chapter 24 just a little bit more. We have here at the beginning what we have had many times over throughout the book of Joshua. We have a reminder of God's faithfulness. The first 13 verses or so are all about the faithfulness of God to Israel. And not just in the last few years, but since he called Abram out hundreds of years ago, what he has done in their midst. It reminds us of the calling of the patriarchs, the great grace that God showed to people in choosing someone. You'll see here, it, it reminds us that Abram, it wasn't like Abram was walking around worshiping God before all this happened. Abram was not walking around looking for Yahweh and obeying him. It says that he was worshiping idols. That he was worshiping other gods. And God in his grace looks at Abram and says, you, you there, I want you. Follow me. And Abraham obeys. And he does follow him. And we see Isaac follow. And we see Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, follow the Lord. We see God take care of those early patriarchs of this nation and of their families. But it doesn't just end there. He goes on to talk about the rescue from Egypt. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, finds himself in a place of famine. They're, the family can't find any food. And so, in God's providence, one of the sons, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, was in power in Egypt. And through a series of events, God saves the family of Jacob through Egypt. And they find safe haven there. And they grow as a nation. They multiply in numbers. But it is not their final home. It is not to be their final place of rest. Instead, what happens is another Pharaoh comes along, one that did not know Joseph, that did not know Jacob. And he imprisons, basically, he, he makes forced labor out of the Israelites, out of the Jewish people. And they find themselves in a difficult situation. They call out to God. They seek the one that had called them out so long ago. And what they find is that he was faithful. 
He hears them. He sends to them Moses and Aaron. He sends plagues to Egypt until finally Pharaoh lets them go, until he frees them. But it's not just enough that they walk out. He parts the Red Sea on their behalf. They, get, they escape their enemies, and their enemies are destroyed. This all-powerful nation of Egypt is humbled by the hand of God. And then they wander. God provides again. He's still faithful to them as they go through the desert. Even in the midst of disobedience, they, they choose to rebel against God at several different places. God is faithful to them, and he provides manna. He provides quail. He provides water. He provides safety as they make that march through the desert until they get to the promised land. And then, oh, the things that he does there. We've seen many of them here in Joshua parting of the Jordan so that they can pass over as a people on dry land. The fall of Jericho, the fall of the five kings at Gibeon, the defeat of the army of the north that is as numerous as the sand on the seashore and their chariots and their technology. He gives them everything. He has been faithful to them over and over and over again. And so Joshua reminds them of saying, God had made a covenant with us and he has fulfilled his part of the covenant time and time and time again. What about us? What about the people's faithfulness? The faithfulness of God, his his overwhelming fulfillment of the covenant that he made requires, requires a response. You see, covenant is not a one-way street. It's not just about God blessing you. It's not just about God blessing Israel. There's a, there's a response that's needed in a covenant. He says in verse 14, Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. There is in the people's faithfulness a respectful fear. A respectful fear. An understanding that God is the God of creation, that He's the God who has created all life, that He sustains life, that He's all-powerful, that He is holy, that He is perfect, that He is all-wise. And there is a respectful fear, a worship of God. There's a singular focus. A singular focus. He says, put away your other gods. Put away the gods that were worshipped on the other side of the river. Put away the gods that were worshipped in Egypt. Put away the gods that were worshipped in this land before we came in. Put them away. Forget about them. We see in Joshua chapter 23, it says, Don't even mention their names. Don't even give them space in your language. You focus on me. Everything else will take care of itself. It's just like the illustration that we had just a moment ago with the kids that when we put him first, everything else then begins to make more sense and it begins to be held up. We can't do it the other way around. It doesn't work well that way. We lose things that way. 
We are called to a singular focus. And we are called to voluntary obedience. Notice here that he says, you choose. He says in verse 15, And it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A people's faithfulness is based on a respectful fear, a worship of God. It's based on singular focus on God and God alone. But it is mostly based on a voluntary obedience to follow the Lord. He does not force us into covenant. He does not force us into relationship. We must choose it. He extends the hand of relationship, the hand of peace to individuals. But we must take it. The people here understood that. In many ways, this question of choice is kind of a ridiculous one. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day who you'll serve, whether gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, make a choice. Are you going to choose to follow these gods that have done nothing, these gods who our God has overtaken, these gods who aren't even real. They're fake. They're nothing. They're pieces of wood. They're pieces of metal that have been formed by human hands. They have no control over everything because they're imaginary. Or will you be, or will you worship God, the one who has done all these things for you, the one who is real? We recently, we took our daughter to the zoo, and the zoo has, in a very mistaken way, taken away the children's zoo and replaced it with animatronic dinosaurs. What a shame. My daughter begged to see the dinosaurs. She wanted to see the dinosaurs, and so we decided to take her in, and pretty soon she decided she wanted Dad to hold her. Dad, you keep me, is what she was saying. Dad, you keep me. You keep me. Because these animatronic dinosaurs, many of them, not all of them, are life-size. So you can imagine a life-size T-Rex, life-size Stegosaurus, so on and so forth. And my daughter sees these things, she hears these dinosaurs, and she is afraid. She's scared of them. They make her nervous. She She needs to be close to her dad. And the whole time, her and I are having the conversation, sweetheart, these are not real. They're big toys is all they are. They look frightening. They look like they could do something to you, but they aren't real. Like we don't have to be afraid of them. And slowly over time, she began to understand that. And then she began to, okay, Dad, go back. I want to see that dinosaur that I said run away with. I want to go get closer to him. But then I take her to the bears. And I'm like, now these, sweetheart, these are real. These, if that glass wasn't there, these we are afraid of. These we need to take seriously. These are no toys. In the same way, it's the ridiculous, like we understand that as adults and we think that it's, an, it's just an obvious thing, right? That we wouldn't be scared of the animatronics, but that we would be scared of the real thing. In the same way, the choice that Joshua puts in front of the Israelites is just as ludicrous. You can either worship and be afraid of gods that mean nothing, or you can serve and follow the real thing. Your choice. You do what you want to do. As for me and my family, we're going to take the real thing. 
That's the presentation. That's what he is offering them. But they have to make the choice. What are you going to allow to control your life? The fake or the real? The response is what you would hope for. The response is, Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who has brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. The response is, yeah, we want to follow him. We want to follow him. This covenant renewal, it, it starts with a promise. There's the promise of God that he will continue to take care of them, that he will continue to bless them, but there is also a promise of the people. We choose him. We will follow him. Now, what happens next is a little odd. No evangelist would ever do what Joshua is just about to do. An evangelist would not stand before a group of people and say, this morning you need to choose Jesus. And then when they did, say, nope, you can't do that. It's not possible. But that's exactly what Joshua does. He gives them a warning. They say, we want to follow God. And the response of Joshua is in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. You can't do it. In a way, he kind of calls their bluff. Like, they're so eager. Yes, we want the blessing. Yes, we want the continued protection of God. Yes, we want the real thing. But Joshua sees past their excitement and says, do you really understand what you're saying? Do you really get it? Jesus tells us the same thing. He tells us, count the cost. Count the cost. Before you say, I'm going to follow God, understand that that means Everything, in everything you do, in every way that you walk, in every decision you make, you're going to look to him first. If you're not willing to do that, then you don't understand what's happening right now. He says, be careful here. You can't do this. You're not perfect like he is. He makes an interesting statement there. He says, that if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, that he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Before that, he says, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. As people, it's grace, we hear those words, he will not forgive. We hear those words about consequence for God's people, and we're like, wait a minute, that doesn't jive. That doesn't make entire sense. What Joshua is saying here is not that if you make a mistake and then seek forgiveness, that God won't forget. Forgive. He will forgive. Well, you see that throughout the Bible. Anytime anyone makes a mistake and in, in real and sin sincerity comes to God and says, I've screwed up, please forgive me. God is patient. He's merciful. What Joshua is saying is, is that if you say you're going to follow God and then do the opposite of that, that he will not ignore it. That he will not ignore it. Kind of the... The illustration that you might have is if you sign a contract with a company, big company, and you say, hey, I'm going to only buy your stuff. I'm only going to do you. And then you go out and you buy someone else's product 
or you use a VPN. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But you use something that's clearly, <laughs> some of you do understand what I'm talking about. But you use something that's against the contract. There are some companies that will look the other way, right? They're so big that they're not going to prosecute you. Now, that doesn't mean it's right. I'm not advocating you to do that stuff, okay? But there are some companies that they're not going to care. They're not going to pursue it. It's not worth their time to pursue. Joshua says, that's not God. If you make a contract with him, if you go into covenant with God, if you say, I am only going to be faithful to you, and then you choose to pursue a different God without repentance, wholeheartedly, God is not going to stand by and say, well, no big deal. No, he is going, he's going to come after you. He's going to come after you. He wants you back. And if that means disciplining you, if that means punishment, then so be it. But God is not going to stand idly by while people that swore to be faithful to him are not. And so Joshua just simply, simply warns them, be careful what you're saying. Are you sure you want to do this? The people of Israel respond, no, we will serve the Lord. They hear the warning and they say, we, don't, we understand what you're saying. We want him. We want to follow him. We understand the consequences if we do not. Give us him. And Joshua says, okay. Okay. As you're a witness, you understand that you have done this. But it's not just this generation. He wants to make sure that they understand they're making a decision that will impact generations to come. And so he sets up this other witness. He sets up a rock. Why a rock? Well, because it doesn't go away. It's going to last. He sets up the rock and he says, this is a witness against you. It's a witness against the generations to come that if you betray God, that he has every right to come after you. If you betray God, then you knew what you were getting into. And then he sends them home. They have made the covenant. They have renewed their vows with God. And now it's time to live life. And the question that we have at the end of Joshua is how is this new nation, this people that have gotten new homes, this people that have been blessed Beyond imagination, now the question is, will they really live up to their vows? Will they really follow him? The same question is for us. We are under a new covenant, the Bible tells us. One established in the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is the same faithful God. It is the same faithful God that has been consistent in his attitude and his actions towards humanity forever. It is the same faithful God who loves you. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter what thoughts you may have had, no matter what things you may have hidden from everyone else, no matter how many times you've ran away from God instead of running towards God, he looks at you and says, I want I want you. And he has done everything in his power. He has died for you. 
We all have rebelled against God. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We have consequences that we have earned, and Jesus took them for us. He volunteered himself so that we could have life, so that we could have a relationship. And now he stands before all of humanity with an open hand of relationship, an offer of peace. Something, by the way, that he did not have to do. This is one thing that blows every other religion. It blows their minds that the God of all creation, a holy, just God, a righteous God, would desire to bind himself under oath to us. And yet there he stands. Waiting. For us to make a decision. The incredible thing is that this time, this covenant is not open just to Israel. Now it is open to all. It is open to all of humanity. Any who will come. Any who will declare him Lord can be adopted into the family of God. Same faithful God. Same offer of peace. Now open to all. And it comes, just as before, it comes with a promise, a warning, and a witness. God promises, if you will follow me, that he will give life, that he will give life abundantly, and that he will give life eternally. He promises a new home. We don't look forward to the promised land in terms of a place in, on the Mediterranean Sea, in the middle of the desert. No, we look forward to a new earth that is perfect and unstained from sin, a place of no more fear, a place of no more tears, no more pain, no more death. We look forward to being in His presence. We look forward to much greater things. It comes with a warning. If you reject Him, if you reject the offer that He gives, then you will suffer the consequences. Consequences that you earned are still there. And if you reject his offer to take for him to take them, then you will suffer them on your own. And that's for Christians. Not that if you're a believer here, understand that no, we do not suffer the consequence of hell. That once we are saved, we are always saved and we can never lose that. But understand that we are, we are promised that if you choose to say, I will follow you, and then you walk away from him, that you will experience discipline. Just as a good father disciplines his child, so too God disciplines his. So there's promise, there's warning, and there is a witness. This is probably the most incredible thing. The witness for us is the Holy Spirit. He testifies that we are God's children. The amazing thing about God's offer is not just that he desires to have a relationship with us, but that if we choose to follow him, that he dwells with us. That he guides our path, that he helps us that he provides for us, that he encourages us, that he gives us the right words in the right time. He dwells with us. And so it all comes down to a choice. It all comes down to a choice this morning, friends. Some of you here who have never had a relationship with him, you've never had a relationship with God, you have chased after everything else imaginable, that you've never found satisfaction, you've never found fulfillment. This morning, you hear about God's offer that He wants you. But you 
have to make the choice. Do you want him? It's easy. The words that come out of your mouth are easy. The decision to follow him is just a simple conversation between you and God, a simple prayer where you say, I know that I have made mistakes. Please forgive me. Forgive me of the mistakes I've made. Forgive me for the rebellion I've had. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my mistakes. I believe that he rose from dead. I believe that he's coming again, and I want to follow him. That's an easy conversation to have. Understand that it comes with great weight, (laughs) that it's a commitment to follow him the rest of your life. And I promise you, if you choose him, it is worth it. It is worth it. At the same time, you may be here and you're a believer. You just need to recommit. You just need a renewal of your vows, so to speak. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe that relationship has grown cold. Maybe it's just a struggle. And this morning you would say, I need a reminder of the great grace that God has shown me, of his great faithfulness to me, and a reminder of my responsibility to serve him. This morning I pray that you would do that that you would renew your vows with him, with the one who has chosen you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response this morning, an opportunity for you to, to pray, an opportunity for you to have a conversation with the Lord, to say, to make that choice this morning. Because we're not promised that we're going to get another opportunity. We're not promised that we get another day, that we get another chance. But this morning, to make that decision, what will you do with the offer that God has given you? That may mean that you need to grab somebody. That may mean you need to come to the altar. We don't do that a lot, but there's something about physically coming to an altar to make those kinds of decisions that it is a landmark moment in our life. I encourage you to do that. But this morning, let us respond. Father, we come before you, and Lord, I thank you. Lord, that in your holiness and in your perfection, in your strength, in your wisdom, that you did not choose to leave us alone. That you did not choose just to simply ignore our rebellion. That you did not simply shrug your shoulders at the consequences that we have brought on ourselves. Father, but that you have looked at each one of us and you have desired us to the point of dying on a cross, of suffering our punishment so that we may have life, that we may know you and know all the blessings of being in your presence, to know what it means to dwell with the Spirit. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we as a people would make a conscious choice to follow you. Lord, that if there is one here that has never made that decision, that today that you would be pounding on their heart. Lord, that they would know that you are making this offer to them and that they would choose you. Father, I pray that if there is a believer here this morning, that that relationship has grown cold, that they would know that you stand ready and willing to welcome them home to embrace them in your arms if they will just come.
pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.